0: This show is brought to you in part by the Iron Range Resources and Rehabilitation.
1: Hi, this is Paul Metz. You're in tune with the Wall of Power Radio Hour. We are going to replay the second installment of a three-part Bob Dylan birthday series. This first aired at May 31st, 2014. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. I'm Paul Metza. This is the second episode of our three-part radio series celebrating Bob Dylan as his 73rd birthday comes on May 24th. This show includes an interview with Leroy Hoikala, Bob's first drummer in his band, The Golden Chords. A very special interview with Bob's 11th grade English teacher, B.J. Rolfson. B.J. passed in 2010, and I was fortunate enough to record an interview with with him in 2007 at his home rounding out this show will be country legend Sherwin Linton while researching for this series I found a lovely story told by his mother Beatty years ago she told the story of how young Bob according to her the cutest kid in town would reply when asked how old are you Bob would respond I'll be two in May. We are very excited to chat with Bob Dylan's first drummer from his band, The Golden Chords. Fellow Iron Ranger and Finn, Mr. Leroy Hoykala, thanks so much for taking time to speak with us today.
2: Well, my pleasure, actually. I I do really enjoy talking to people from all over the world when they come here for Dylan days. And uh, it uh, gives me something to do.
1: Now, you still live around Hibbing somewhere?
2: Yes, so I live right in right in the middle of town.
1: Really? Are you in your the house you grew up in?
2: Oh uh, no. Mm. I, I bought this. I lived in the cities for a while. I was in the service for two years, and uh, then I uh, came back to Hving. A friend of mine said that you should buy this house. I looked at it. I go okay. So I did. Came back to Old Hibbing.
1: <laughs> You Finlanders like to keep it simple.
2: Hey, there you go. <laughs> Speaking of keeping it simple, that's one thing that Bob always said. Bob would say, okay, we're going to play this song, we're going to try this, we're going to try that. And he said, don't forget, two things, not too loud and keep it simple.
1: Huh. Now, when did you start playing with Bob?
2: Well, kind of the story is in 1955, a friend of mine, John Buckland, said, hey, he lived real close to me. He said, why don't you come over tonight? We're going to do some taping. Because the AM radio, you could get Skip almost every night, and the Skip would be uh, Shreveport. Mm-hmm. So I said, sure. So anyhow, I went over there, and uh, Bob was there, and they were taping some of these songs from Shreveport. And we uh, were like "Mooning Drive" things like that.
1: Mm-hmm. So you got a really clear signal from the Shreveport radio station at night. Yes, we did. Were you able to hear the Grand Old Opry, or what other radio stations did you get in? Well, that's the only thing
2: that I actually listened to with with uh, John and Bob. Uh, they listened to the street foot all the time, and did I hit a a reel to reel tape recorder? So they'd be kind of fussy, and they did uh, pick pick out some of the songs we wanted to tape. This was back in 1955. I don't know if Bob was playing music then, but he certainly was listening to it.
1: Now, at what point did the Golden Chords form and start to play?
2: Well, it was in 58. And uh, Monty Edwardson was a guy, just a great guitar player. He's a uh, natural. He's still playing today, believe it or not, huh. in Colorado. And he, uh, he said, come on, He's two pieces isn't very good for a drummer and a guitar player, but he said, I just want to try a few things on my guitar but I'd like to have something of a beating back. I said, sure, great. So we did. We went to his house, and we played a few songs, and it was it was kind of fun and everything. And uh, some of the kids at school were saying, oh, are you guys playing together? I said, oh, we're just messing around. And then Bob had heard about it. So he, we were going to work one day in the summer, heading for salmons and Sparrows. And Bob said, hey, how about meeting um, my garage and start doodle playing? So uh, we said, sure, heck yeah, this weekend's fine. So Saturday we met at Bob's Garage, and that was the start of the Golden Accords.
1: Huh. So it was just two guitar players, Monty, Bob, and then you played drums. Right. Mm-hmm. So no bass players, so you were predating the White Stripes by uh, about 50 years.
2: Yeah, that's about it, right.
1: <laughs> Could you feel something right off the bat in that first afternoon that there was uh, some a spark and some magic there?
2: Well, it was it was kind of neat because Bob certainly wanted to be the center of attention. I have to admit that. And uh, we're, we're messing around, and, and, and Bob said, okay, I'm just, Monty, just go ahead, and play the key of whatever was G or whatever. And uh, Monty was just messing around, and Bob starts singing a song. And we thought, boy, that's really great. And we went through the song, and when it was done, it was a ballad. It was very nice. And I said, "Wow, that was great, Bob. Let's do it again." He, he said, "Oh no, I just made it up."
1: <laughs> Boy, it came that quickly, even back then, didn't it? Right. Yeah.
2: And he, you uh, could tell that, you know, what is music? It's feeling, and he had the feeling. He, he was a, you could tell right away that he loved the music.
1: Tell us about the first paying gig for for Bob Dylan and the Golden Chords.
2: Okay. um... Duluth was having rock hops, and Monty Edwardson. one day, we were having a Coke or coffee or something, three of us, said, hey, we should have a rock hop, and he said, Duluth is having them, and they're successful, they're a lot of fun, and we said, hey, yeah, we'll do it, so we found out what we had to do, hire the police, and had to like, hire a clean-up man, we rented the armory in Hibbing, and hitting um, and we made our own signs, which didn't have a computer at that particular time. Right. But but we used, like, crayons, black cranes <laughs> or whatever, gave them to our friends to put them in the neighboring towns and uh, rented the PA system from Jay's and Shootham. Okay. And then uh, we thought, we'll try it out. So we got everything set up, got some help. Some of our friends helped us out. And uh, we thought probably wouldn't be anybody there, but it was a Saturday, I believe it was a Saturday night. So there wasn't anything going on in town for kids, for teenagers. Right. Friday night was was teenage for kids. So anyhow, we got set up and everything, and wow, the kids started coming in. We couldn't believe it. And we had the cheap old tickets. Everything was cheap because we didn't have a lot of money.
1: What was the cover charge?
2: 50 cents. (laughs) Okay. And anyhow, then we started playing and... A rock hop, you spin records. Jet Cripple gave us a bunch of records to spin, and then you play for twenty minutes, spin records, and uh, play, you know, back and forth. It was kind of fun, and we started playing. and It was a very successful. A lot of kids, unbelievable. Place was packed. Cool. To our to our surprise, actually. So then, uh, at the end, we were taking the money and counting a lot of change, of course. And Bob said, "This was the first time we got." Paid to play music. I said, me too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but not the last.
2: Yeah. Well, I played for you? Been years. Yeah, he's still going strong. He's still great. He's a genius.
1: Uh, tell us a little bit about Crippa's music.
2: Oh, well, Crippa music, we used to go to all the time. And they had those little boots you could, you know, spin records you could listen to before you bought it. We mm-hmm. so used to go to all the time. And, um... Uh, Chet was a great guy. He just
1: said, sure, go ahead. He didn't really care. And then you could also buy, besides listening to records and things, it, it had guitars and amps and things you could buy there? Right. I, I bought my drums through Chet. Tell us about the train tracks and the uh, the near-miss there with uh, you guys on your motorcycles.
2: Okay, it was a Sunday afternoon, I believe, and we are cruising around. It went to, to Brooklyn. Tell
1: them about where Brooklyn was. Cause
2: Brooklyn is northeast in Hitton, actually. Still, a suburb right in town, it right. in heavy. And uh, we we're just kind of. I had a Harley Forty Five, Bob had a Harley Forty Five, and my cousin had a Harley Seventy Four. And we we're just driving around, beautiful day. And we came to the tracks, and we stopped naturally. There's a train going by, and we waited and waited. And as so I said, Bob was really independent, very restless. And as soon as the train went by, Bob took off. And he didn't know it was double tracks. There's a train coming in the opposite direction, could, which you couldn't see. Bob happened to see it, dropped his bike, and he was laying there. We thought he got hit. Wow. But he was just a few inches the train was missing him by. Wow. But Bob would never, ever talk about it after. He didn't get hurt. He picked up his bike, started we took off riding around again. But he would never talk. About it. He said, wow, Bob, we're surprised you're still here. You, you could have got hurt. He got killed. Well, and he, he wouldn't acknowledge the fact that it even happened.
1: Well, and then years later, he put out a record called Blood on the Tracks. Hmm, coincidence? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so now, how old were you guys when you were cruising around hibbing on your bikes? Um,
2: probably about 1918, something like that. Wow, and you,
1: probably no helmets back then, or did you have helmets? No, no helmets,
2: no. <laughs> We had the Harley motorcycle cap.
1: <laughs> That's all you needed. Now, I, I've heard, I've read about Bob uh, going, and you and I guess uh, you as well. You'd go over to visit a DJ who went by the name of uh, Jim Dandy on WHLB, this little AM radio station out of Virginia that I actually uh, spent a couple of years on when I was in high school. And uh, tell us a little bit about that and the DJ. Okay, well,
2: one Bob said, "Hey, we have to." go to the seller's house. I got to get there quick because he had to get the car back home. So we went over. I think John Buckner was with us also. And uh,
1: Was that was Bob's a, Was that Bob's dad's car? Is that what he had to get? Yes,
2: back? it was. <laughs> yep. It was a Buick, I should believe. And uh, so we went over there and we went up these steps. There was a, like a garage apartment in mm-hmm. the back. And there was a, a person there we had boxes and boxes of records. And Bob was trying to go through, because he was in a hurry, he had to get back. But we met this guy, he's really a neat guy. He's from the South. And he uh, he told Bob, if you want to borrow something, you certainly can. But, I mean, he had hundreds of records. I don't know how a person could own
1: so many records. Wow. And they are 45, so all 45. No kidding. Yeah. Boy, that collection would be worth something today. Oh, I guess, yeah. So anyway,
2: then we, uh, Bob took a bunch of them home and...
3: And that was it. Well, said, Where do you want this killing done? God's all on Highway
4: 61. You're
1: listening to The Wall of Powell Radio Hour. We will have more conversation with Leroy Hoekla in the next segment.
4: The two gingers just can't get enough of Paul Metza. He's smooth, yet strong. A great mixer and very refreshing. The Two Gingers are his biggest fans. They're at practically every bar, club, and restaurant in Minnesota to see his shows. And now they've taken to following Paul around the country Texas, New York, Nebraska. You never know where you may find the Two Gingers. Just ask the bartender for them. Two Gingers Whiskey. What could happen?
5: I'm Richard R.J. Eskow, and this week on The Zero Hour, author Thomas Frank on the power of populism, Alexis Goldstein on Wall Street's latest wins, and Nathan J. Robinson of Current Affairs magazine on, well, on pretty much everything. All this and more on The Zero Hour, every Sunday night from 9 until midnight on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota.
6: Hi, Matt McNeil for Rudy Luther Toyota. My first Toyota love was the RAV4 back in 1998. When I was traveling in February, I needed a rental car, and I jumped at the opportunity to drive one again. The RAV4 is fantastic with all the bells and whistles you need, and it has all the modern safety features to keep us safe, comfort as we vacationed. It fit all five of us and our luggage with ease. I was able to revisit my first love. Now, you can fall in love for yourself by test driving a RAV4 today at Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169.
0: Visit the wine bar at Cafe Latte and enjoy a unique handcrafted pizza and glass of wine. The perfect place for an intimate night or an evening with friends. Choices range from spicy Italian sausage and sweet roasted peppers to the one-of-a-kind nacho chicken pizza layered with blue corn tortilla chips. The approachable wine list offers over 30 by the glass with special emphasis on wines from Washington State. End your night with one of Cafe Latte's melt-in-your-mouth desserts. 850 Grand Avenue, St. Paul.
7: Hey, it's Mike McEntee, and I have a show on AM 950 Monday through Friday from 4 to 5 o'clock. It's a free-form hour of news, interviews, and your phone calls. We don't do 10-second bites and yelling and screaming about issues. That may make for great entertainment, but it really doesn't help to solve the real problems we face. We try to get the whole story and have an intelligent discussion. We also occasionally have a little fun. Listen in from 4 to 5 o'clock on AM 950 Radio.
1: Metzler, your host on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. We continue our conversation with Leroy Hoykla, Bob Dylan's first drummer in his high school band, The Golden Chords. Was there a little diner right off Main Street that used to have Sunday afternoon jam sessions? In anything? Yeah. Okay, well that was colored as barbecue. Right, I've read about that. Tell us about that, Leroy. Yeah,
2: well what happened, the Von Feltz owned it Ken and Jerry worked in it, as his, his mom it actually. And they, cl- they closed down on Sunday to clean the place up, to get the potatoes ready for the next day, put them in water. And as you f- walked in there, uh, there was a little area where people would would walk in, and um, they had a little space. So that's where we set up. I brought a couple, just a couple of drums. Of. Monty and Bob had their guitars and a small amp. And uh, we started playing, and you, you could, and on a Sunday afternoon, a beautiful day, the kids, and we chick girls, of course, would be walking <laughs> up and down the street, on Howard Street, right. the main street, the main drag. And yeah, and they would hear us play, and pretty soon, the place was full. And Vonsel said, "Hey, how are we supposed to clean this place up?" You know, <laughs> but uh, we, uh they said, "That's okay, we'll work around it." and it worked out kind of fun. We enjoyed it.
1: Yes, and uh, and you got to meet some pretty girls along the way. Yeah, exactly. Was your dad in the mines?
2: Yes, my dad was, uh, he drove a locomotive, but it was very seasonal work. So you, he'd work uh, about six, seven months, and then he'd be off hmm. for a few months. So. But he made it good.
1: Now, what, uh, what other kinds of, were, were there other bands playing at the armory that you used to go and see?
2: I can't recall any in the Army. Well, Duluth was the first the start of it.
1: Okay, tell us about Duluth.
2: Okay, well, Duluth, we used to listen to the radio station, uh, the WABC, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And then we used to listen to a program called Night Patrol.
1: Night Patrol, I like it.
2: Yeah, Night Patrol, and it was great. It was all the popular songs as far as the lock and roll goes. So we listened to that every night. And, and we went there, uh, I went to quite a few concerts in Duluth. And they tell, tell me that I went to see Buddy Holly at the end, but I can't recall it. So honestly, I, I would say no, but they said yes, I was there. But, you know, 50 years later, you, you just don't know.
1: So how long were the Golden Cords together for?
2: Well, the Golden Cords kind of broke up when Bob took off.
1: Did you stay in touch with Bob after he left Hibbing?
2: Well, his mother worked. She was a great person, I have to add. She was so bubbly and so nice.
1: And that was Beattie.
2: Yes, and she worked at Feldman's, and so did I. Hmm. I sold shoes there. I cleaned up. I did everything there. Feldman's were very nice people, and uh, so she'd always say she have questions written down. Uh, Bob would say heavily, where I asked these, you know, uh, who's what's this person doing, and you know, all what's happening there. Apparently, he read the papers and everything. And then um, I would answer, you know, what as far as I knew, and but uh, basically uh, communicating directly, we did not do that.
1: Hmm. So when Bob then went out to New York and recorded his first record in 1962, that must have been quite exciting for you,
2: right? Well, the thing what happened was we always at work one day, and one of the Feldmans said, "Hey, you? put on a microelectric. He wants to. He wants to talk to you and I show you something." I said, "Okay." So I zipped down there, and he said, "I just got this in the mail yesterday. I want you to hear it. It was Harry Belafonte." Uh, L the 33, and Bob played harmonica in it.
1: Right. Was that the Midnight Special?
2: Yeah, and he was uh, so proud of Bob, you cannot believe it.
5: Well, I wake up in the morning don't you go march into the table. you see the same old thing. Hey.
1: So Leroy, after Bob left Hibbing, what did you do?
2: I went to California. Monty and I went both to California and I got a job there. I had two jobs back, so I did work. Okay. <clears throat> For about a year. Then I got drafted. Hmm. Huh. So then when I got drafted I came back Hibbing. And um, then I
1: went into the service. I worked at the Integral Pentagon. It was kind of fun. Wow. From being Bob Dylan's drummer to working underground at the Pentagon. Now, you've known Bob Dylan since, uh, my goodness gracious, almost 60 years. Right. And, And you were really there in his formative years, and you've seen... Uh, his incredible career. How would you sum it up for somebody about what you saw in the beginning and, and how you saw him, uh, you know, be brave and durable and hang in there and keep creating over all these years?
2: I don't think anybody in this whole world could do that except Bob. Because Bob was Bob. Bob was for himself, but he didn't really show it that much, but he was. He never had a best friend, I'll tell you that right now. Huh. Yeah, and uh, I mean, we knew him pretty, pretty well. Great guy, and uh, once he said something to me about James Dean, and we were looking at magazines at Stephen's Grocery, and he was reading how James Dean started. And then when he read it, he said, had me read it. And then he said, he said, it goes to show you, believe in yourself, never give up.
1: Huh. That is just an incredible story, Leroy. I really appreciate your time with us today. Okay. And I look forward to meeting you in person.
2: Well, I really enjoyed it, too. So good luck to you,
1: and catch you later. Okay, Leroy, have a wonderful night.
3: Once upon a time, you dressed so fine. Do the bums of jime in your prime. Then you. Say, beware, doll, your are bound fall, you thought they were all. Grounding.
1: have a very exclusive interview with Bob Dylan's 11th grade English teacher, the
0: late Mr. B.J. Rolfson.
5: I'm Richard R.J. Eskow, and this week on The Zero Hour, author Thomas Frank on the power of populism, Alexis Goldstein on Wall Street's latest wins, and Nathan J. Robinson of Current Affairs magazine on, well, on pretty much everything. All this and more on The Zero Hour, every Sunday night from 9 until midnight on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota.
8: Hi, Gregory Rich, host of Drink in the Style and owner of Habitation Furnishing and Design in St. Louis Park. I've got a question for you guys. Are you familiar with the concept of OPM or other people's money? It's essentially using someone else's cash to buy what you want. Well, this week, Habitation is offering you a chance to use someone else's money to buy the furniture you want today. From May 23rd through May 29th, Habitation is offering 0% interest on all new in-stock and all special order items for a full four years. Seriously, that's four years of free financing. Zero. Zip. Nada. Nothing. That means you can buy $5,000 worth of furniture for about $100 a month with absolutely no interest. So come out to Habitation at 4317 Excelsior Boulevard in St. Louis Park to check out the coolest furniture showroom in town. Our prices are always great, but this financing deal is for a limited time only. Habitation furnishing and design, you've earned the right to be you. Some restrictions apply.
6: There's no question you need Omega-3s Omega 50 plus will work for you. We'll even send you a free bottle to put to the test. The debate is over. It's not fish oil or krill oil. It's both. And now it's free. Just pay $4.95 for shipping and claim your free bottle. Call now. 1-800-647-1579. 1-800-647-1579. That's
0: 1-800-647-1579. With your AM950 weather, this is Eric Nelson. Tonight will be clear with a low around 67. Sunday, sunny and hot with a high near 97. Sunday night, a chance of thunderstorms after 1 a.m. with a low around 70. Memorial Day will be mostly sunny and hot with a high near 94 and a low around 70. Habitation's Memorial Day financing sale, 0% on sofas, chairs, tables, and more for a full four years. May 23rd through the 29th, they have the coolest furniture in town. Located at 4317 Excelsior Boulevard in St. Louis Park and online at habitationdesign.com.
9: And I always told my students that this one, I remember, those who seek for treasure must go alone at night. And when they find it, they must leave a little of their blood behind them. I used to tell my students that if you're gonna learn, you're gonna have to spill some of your blood. It's not easy. And you go alone at night, you go alone because you know, the teacher is not always with you. And most of this learning you learn yourself. You don't learn it from a teacher. You dig it out for yourself. At least I did.
1: You are listening to the voice of B.J. Rolfson, Bob Dylan's 11th grade English teacher and a major influence on the young Robert Zimmerman. I had the honor of interviewing B.J. at his house in Hibbing in May of 2007. The following interview is a great example of his knowledge, passion and intellect. All right, we're sitting here on a kind of a cloudy afternoon in Hibbing, Minnesota. Uh, And I'm sitting in the living room of a gentleman I had the chance to meet last summer when I played up here in Bennett Park, a legendary English teacher, uh, known... uh, probably for the last several years as is, is being one of uh, a great influence on Bob Dylan, but as I've been doing some research, you've actually had quite an effect on hundreds and hundreds of people. I'm looking at this poem, BJ, and I know you have a great love of poetry, maybe we could start this interview with uh, with you reciting the Carl Sandburg poem. You just
9: want me to read poetry. this? Yes. You prefer this to any other... Well, no, do you have something else in there you'd like to okay, read? Okay, we can look at look at that later. Yeah, I just thought that one opened up. and it's I read this down at the university. Oh, you did? Uh, for Dylan Days. Grass, the first one I read. And, um, uh, and this is called Grass by Carl Sandberg. And um, this is how it reads. Pile the bodies high at Austerlitz in the water to shovel them under and let me work I am the grass I cover all pile them high at Gettysburg pile them high at Ypres and Verdun shovel them under and let me work I am the grass I cover all two years ten years passengers ask the conductor what place is this Uh, Where are we now? I am the grass. Let
1: me work. Hmm. There's something about hearing poetry as opposed to just reading it that really, really makes it come alive. You do such a great job. Thank you. Poetry is, uh, I told him, was musical thought.
9: Hmm. Musical thought is a good definition of poetry because if you see deeply enough. Uh, you see, musically, you see the harmony in the universe.
1: Now, you went to school at St. John's, you said, in yeah. St. Cloud in Colorado. Yes. Studying English. Yes. And what, uh, how did your love of the English language start?
9: I didn't start in high school, I know, because uh, I was a poor student in high school. Um, we never... Uh, it's a difficult story <laughs> that I have to tell about uh, my uh, background. It was during the Depression, you know. I know you can't uh, use that as an excuse, but uh, I never read a book in high school. I remember, <laughs> you know? I uh, There were no books in, at home. My parents never read. We never got a newspaper. We never got a magazine. Uh, and uh, the teachers weren't. I can't blame the teachers either. It's been no fault. I suppose they didn't read. But I, um, when I got into the navy, I remember distinctly. Once I got into the navy, I looked around me, and it uh, was obvious to me that if I was going to make my mark in the world, I had to uh, begin to study, begin to read, and begin to know things. And so, I began to read in the navy. And I, I read and I read and I read. I had a lot of years to keep catch up, you know. And um, and then I I studied electronics in the navy. They sent me to school, a number of schools. I um, I uh, and uh, that's about it. I think uh, I just I just love to read and I love to study. I had to know things. I'm one who. Um, is not satisfied with uh, uh, operating a, a machine or whatever without knowing something about it. I remember when he put in the steam line in my house, I didn't know a, uh, a motorized valve from a from a trap, so, but I had to learn. Hmm. I had to learn. So I learned it. And I was the... Uh, I was Mr. Fix-It in this block. Every uh, Everybody called me about, could you fix the... Uh, my washing machine. Could you fix my toaster? Can you fix this? Can you fix that? And I, I fixed about everything they asked me to fix, and uh, even Mr. sits over there. I, uh, he called me a number of times for fixing some things in his house, and I I, I enjoyed that. I, I, I just have that curiosity about things. When I was a, a younger, and I uh, uh, I didn't have any money, of course. I was recently married, but I had no cars, and I had to fix them. I put in new brakes, I fixed the alternator, I did the, uh, kept the car on the road. Uh, I didn't do the major overhaul, but uh, but everything else I, I did,
1: and uh, that's the way I am. Do you see a relationship, P.J., between, you know, the mechanics of, say, a car or a toaster and the mechanics of language and poetry? Well, it's just a matter of knowing, you know, whatever you're
9: doing. Whether you're reading poetry or repairing an automobile, it's just knowing things. And that's where I was. I had to know. So when I got in the Navy, I got busy and I began to know. I read a lot of of, uh, Thomas Wolfe. I read all of his works. I read them twice and three times because I just loved Thomas Wolfe. He's not my favorite writer anymore because I've grown up, you know. But at one time in my life, he was very important. And so that's why I read him. I read, I read, uh, I read um, uh, a lot of Russians. I read Dostoevsky and Tolstoy. I read these kinds of things. And, uh, and uh, that was it. I, I, I was never without a book when you read you don't read in a vacuum, as least you tell the students. If you don't see yourself in what you read, close the book and uh, go fishing, you
1: know. What grade was Bob in when you taught him? He was in 11th grade. 11th grade. What type of a student was he?
9: Um, I had good students, and he was one of them. Uh, they were all good. And if they weren't good, I'd
1: made them good, you know. They to be good, you good. Know. What did it make you feel like when you saw you know, a young Robert Zimmerman uh, sounds like he was a very conscientious student go out to make his way in the world and not only become known as as a great folk singer, but also becoming one of America's great songwriters Um, I remember, this is so long ago you know, but
9: I remember not because he's Bob Dylan, but because he's Robert Zimmerman and um I remember distinctly uh, when he lived in a house where uh, he, you know this, uh, and um, he called me up and uh, he said, uh, hey, come on over, I wanna talk to you. I remember distinctly. And uh, he went to this house, I walked over, and uh, he met me at the door, and there are a few people in the, in the living room. He says, let's sit in this booth over here. There's a little, there's a little booth over there, I think. Right. <laughs> and, uh, uh, your breakfast booth, right? And so we sat in there, and we talked. We talked for some time because he was so excited about the uh, the way things going going so well for him in the cities. It was, it was not as difficult as he thought it would be so he to enter the music, the, the world of music, and so he chatted for quite a long time, and uh, a, couple, a number of years later, I uh, was in the high school college, I remember the room number was 233, I had a class in there, and he kept standing in the hallway, and I said, well, what the hell's going on, what are you doing here, and he said, well, yeah, I talked to him about some other things. And I was, uh, I should have been invited him to the class, but I didn't. I had a class, so we talked for just about 10 minutes or so. And he told me about, uh, he's going to be on the Ed Sullivan show. And I said, Jesus, that's wonderful, Robert. That's a wonderful thing. And I'm going to watch you. And he said, yeah, I'm going to be on a certain night, of course. And I said, I'll be watching you. Well, he never showed up, of course, because I guess Ed Sullivan didn't approve of the song he was going to sing. Right, John Birch, Yeah, Blues or something, or something like, like, that. like that. And so uh, he never wrote. He never appeared. Then I saw him a couple of years ago over in the church over here. I think I told you that. And uh, I was uh, leaving church and because I uh, the Gerinus' was, where the ladies who were, uh, one was the wife of uh, his brother, David. So that's why he was here. And I should have guessed that, uh, you know, that he might be in town, but it didn't, stupidly. And so, as I was walking into church with my wife, I looked at the lift, and there was Bob Gillis you know? So I put my arm around it. I said, Robert, how are you? And, uh, so he said, okay. And, uh, and uh, we talked for a while. And then uh, before he left, he always had a compliment for me. You know, and I'm not ashamed to uh, so tell what did, you what he did. What did he tell you? He told me, you know, Mr. Robinson, you taught me a
1: lot. What do you think of your former student?
9: Human nature is so unpredictable that you can't predict. <laughs> you just can't. At least I can't. Oh. I can sit in class and I can't predict, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, you're going to do something, no, 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 no. You teach them, and uh, that's what you do, and what they do after that, that's their business.
1: You've got a pretty wide panoramic view of American writers, and how do you think Dylan fits in? I think each
9: writer has his own uh, agenda and his, his own style, and uh, to, to fit him in some places is uh, it's, it's really not possible. I, if I think of him, I think of uh,
1: Walt Whitman, yeah. Well, that's a mighty comparison. and that's, That answers that question. With
3: your mercury mouth In the missionary time
4: enough of Paul Metzah. He's smooth, yet strong. A great mixer and very refreshing. The Two Gingers are his biggest fans. They're at practically every bar, club and restaurant in Minnesota to see his shows. And now they've taken to following Paul around the country. Texas, New York, Nebraska. You never know where you may find the Two Gingers. Just ask the bartender for them. Two Gingers Whiskey. What could happen?
7: Are you trying to live stream on Facebook, on YouTube, tired of no one watching your videos? Well, whether you're a beginner or a veteran, you can have better results. Hi, it's Mike McEntee with The Uptake. We're famous for our live streaming of thousands of events that are watched by millions. I wanna help you live stream video like a pro for your cause, your group, or your company. I'm teaching a class on June 9th where you'll learn how to use your phone or professional camera to deliver the best live experience for your audience. I'll teach you how to attract an audience and how to keep reaching that audience when you're no longer live. Find out what platform works best for what you're trying to do. Sign up now at theuptake.org slash classes. Space is limited. Go to theuptake.org slash classes to sign up for this June 9th class. There's a $70 charge, but there's a discount for students and low-income people. That's the uptake.org slash classes to learn how to live stream like a pro. Hello, humans. This is me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 on Monday mornings at 7.30. This Monday, I'll be back to talk about someone who's made the world a better place. Yes, LE 2.0 is about
1: idealism and my own practical idealism where I share not only about real heroes, but also about my work as I go across North America training on human inclusivity and where I seek to make the world a better place. Please tune in, LE 2.0 on AM
8: 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota.
0: The first sentence of his email said, I'd like to stay anonymous. And the second sentence said, I'd like to donate a million dollars to the Global Good Fund. Where should I send the check?
4: I'm Tony Lloyd, and I'm the host of the brand new show, Social Entrepreneur. If you love stories that engage, inform, and inspire, you don't want to miss it. Join us every Monday from 7 to 8 a.m. right here on AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's a
0: great day for a bike ride. What's that? You can't find your bike? Oh, it has a flat. No problem. Take it to Nokomis Cycle, the hardest-working bike shop in town. They're celebrating their 23rd year in business. In that time, they've mastered the art of friendly, dependable service. So keep life and your bike moving with Nokomis Cycle, working harder to make you go faster. Nokomis Cycle at the corner of 46th and Bloomington Avenue South in Minneapolis or at NokomisCycle.com.
1: Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Our studio guest is country legend Sherwin Linton. Well, I'm sailing away, my own true love. I'm sailing away in the morning.
10: Is there something I could send you? Come across the sea from the place. Sherwin,
1: when was I? the first time you heard Bob Dylan?
10: Actually, I think it was in uh, 1960. And where was that? Over on the university campus, and they had a couple places over there, a couple coffee houses. One was the scholar, and I can't remember for sure the name of the other one that seemed like it was the Green Lantern, but I've never been able to find anybody that remembers that. So
1: Well there was a there was a place in St. Paul called the Purple Onion.
10: That could have been it.
1: Okay. So did you just walk in and hear him, or had you heard about well, him?
10: Well, we played. Uh, me and my band, the Fender Benders, played down at the Savoy uh, on Nicollet Avenue, and later on the Flame, in, in uh, which is just up the street. But after we'd be done, we'd go over there. Uh, maybe four or five times we did this, and uh, because I love folk music, and uh, there was a twelve-string, uh, or I mean a harp guitarist named neil christians i uh, think neil christians that played over there and some other folk singers and bob dylan was there but i i didn't know him as bob dylan i just he was known as bob and they'd say okay bob is going to sing now <laughs> and uh, to be honest with you he was not the most popular person there because uh he was doing roy acuff songs and and had his own most of these singers had pretty cultured voices actually and bob didn't so uh,
1: you must love that though those those old country tunes oh
10: yeah i sure did i just thought he was you know i thought he was good but i thought I was a better singer
1: than he was.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and you're both equally good-looking, I might add. So, so, Sherwin, when did uh, you pick up... You, you told me a great story about when you picked up his, his record then. Yeah, it was in a, Fargo, uh, uh, wasn't it?
10: Yeah, not. Minot. Uh, we were up there, and I was in a record store. And then I saw this album, Bob Dylan, and I thought, that's the same guy. Uh, it, it can't be. How did he... Columbia? And then I, but I bought the record and uh, here it was just him and his guitar mostly. And uh, I recognized right away it was, it was him. And I enjoyed it a whole lot. Learned several of the songs from it.
1: Now, you were one of the first people to record a Bob Dylan song probably in the Midwest as early as 1965.
10: Yes, yeah.
1: And tell us about, was that Girl from the North Country?
10: Yeah, it was on, um, I bought another album by him, it came out uh, probably in 64, I think, uh, The Free Wheeling Bob Dylan. And uh, Girl from the North Country was on that album. And I loved that song, so I learned it and uh, recorded it originally. Uh, I think in sometime in sixty-four out in Billings, Montana. If you're travelling in the north country fair Where the winds hit
1: heavy on the borderline. When you finally started to get acquainted with the songwriting, how did you how did you view
10: the man? I thought it was extremely intelligent and he was an intellectual poet there was no question about that um there was some of his material i'd I'd be preposterous to say i exactly understood all of it you know and uh i'm not sure he did (laughs) yeah right yeah like that quote that he had in Uh, I think in England or something, where somebody asked him what some song meant. I don't have to explain my song. (laughs) They mean whatever you want them to. (laughs) But, uh, uh, so he was, I just viewed him as somebody that I really had a great admiration and respect for, wanted to learn as much about him and about his music and what he was doing as possible because I felt I could apply some of that to my own music without being a copycat. Well, I'm sailing away my own true love I'm sailing away in the morning Is there something I could send you from across the sea From the place where I'll be landing No, there's nothing you can send me, my own true love There's nothing I'm wishing to be owning Just to carry yourself back to me, unspoiled From across that lonesome ocean Oh, but I just thought you might want something fine of silver or of golden either from the mountains of madrid or the coast of barcelona well if i had the stars of the darkest night And the diamonds from the deepest ocean I'd forsake them all for your sweet kiss That's all I'm wishing to be owning But I might be gone a long, long time and it's only that i'm asking is there something i could send you to remember me by to make the time more easy passing oh how can you how can you ask me again it only brings me sorrow The same thing I would want today I would want again tomorrow Well, I got a letter on a lonesome day It was from her ship a-sailing Saying I don't know when be coming back again it depends on how i'm
1: feeling Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. That was Sherwin Linton and I playing Boots of Spanish Leather live in the studio. This show was produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Brad Canaber, recorded at the Minneapolis Media Institute. We'd like to thank our guests and our sponsors, including Tree Restaurant in Shoreview. Stay tuned next week for the third episode of our Bob Dylan 73rd Birthday Trilogy with guests Maria Muldor and Scarlett Rivera. Follow us on Wall of Power Radio radio.com and on Facebook at Wall of Power Radio. This is your host, Paul Metza, reminding you to be kind and make someone happy.
10: Spanish boots of Spanish leather.